0: that's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report MBA podcast. I am one of your hosts, as always, Eric Sparopoulos. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros MBA. Uh, we are back. Uh, we've been pretty sporadic with the episodes lately. been very busy. Um, we've been doing a lot of other work for the 94 Feet Report, including launching our YouTube channel, which has our um weekly headlining show on Fridays called The Swingman, which is pretty much 30 minutes of in-depth NBA analysis sprinkled in with some hot takes and some comedy, so definitely check it out on YouTube on our 94 Feet Report YouTube channel, Uh, but we've been doing a lot of other work for 94 Feet Report, so check it out at 94feetreport.com, but we are back today. Um, It is currently Sunday, March 4th at 11.56 p.m. Eastern Time, so pretty much March 5th when you'll be listening to this. We're going to be talking about our young cores, and so let's get Corbin on. Corbin, how are you doing tonight?
1: Hey, Eric, I- I'm doing pretty good. Just trying to keep pace with this crazy, hectic Western Conference, man. But glad to glad to have a conversation with you on this young core.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, the Western Conference playoff race is actually insane. We were planning to talk about it on the episode, but we figured let's devote more time to this young core's discussion. And we can get back to the conference, the Western Conference playoff race next week because it's going to be as crazy next week as it is this week. Because pretty much every day, a team Moves up from the sixth seed to the third seed, and one team drops from the fourth seed to the ninth seed. I mean, it is absolutely insane, um, which makes for great basketball down the stretch of the season because you've got that playoff race, you've got the the race to the bottom of the standings, the tankathon, really, um, and you got a couple of interesting playoff races in the Eastern Conference as well. But let's focus in on some young cores. And you know, before we got on air, I was telling you the story about this pretty much. So this. On Tuesday in that Nuggets Clippers game, Nate Duncan, uh, who does the Dunk Don Basketball NBA podcast, was doing an impromptu Twitter NBA show. And I was happened to be watching the the Twitter NBA show while watching Nuggets Clippers. And I, I just shot him a, a quick question, a question that's been on my mind for quite a while, um, is where he would rank the Nuggets among the top young cores in the league. And he, you know, didn't have a, didn't have the ability to give an answer because he was focused on the game and he he said he would get back to it. And then a day or two later, him and Danny LaRue actually did a full-fledged episode of the Dunked On podcast uh, where, where they ranked and analyzed all the young cores in the league. And Nate had mentioned that someone asked him the question on the Twitter NBA show, but he couldn't remember the username. I'm like 99.9% sure it was me and my question. Um, and so they did the episode. And they, did, they ranked their young cores. That you know created some interesting uh, tension and drama on Twitter. And now here we are creating our own episode about the young <laughs> cores, that has already been... We were slightly inspired by Dunked On, who was actually quite inspired by my my own question on their Twitter NBA show. So we've come full circle, and we're going to rank... You know, I've got like six or seven or eight cores, young cores on my list. I really kind of made the cutoff as the players included have to be 25 or younger. You know, for some players, it's like, They've been in the league for so long, so long and someone tells you, oh, they're still 25 and you're absolutely shocked. And then there's some players where it's like Malcolm Brogdon, who's basically, I think he's already 25 and he's only been in the league for two years. So it's like, it's really, you know, the ages are interesting for some of these players and they depend on the situation. You could have a 25-year-old who's been in the league for five years already. He has all that NBA experience. And then you got get a guy like Brogdon who's 25 has been in the, year for, been in the league for two years. It's very different. But I, I did have that cutoff at 25 or younger. And I'll get right into it with my first team. I had the Philadelphia 76ers first, and it came between the Sixers and Celtics. And and really, I thought, you know, this is the NBA. This is a star-driven league, and the Sixers have two stars for sure in Embiid and Simmons. And, you know, depending on what happens with Markel Fultz, he could be that third star to create a a nice trio in Philly. But even if he doesn't become a star, even if he becomes just a solid starter or, you know, a very good player, not a star, they still have Embiid and Simmons who are going to be, you know, all-star players level of players for the next you know eight to ten years and Embiid obviously has the injury risk but so far he's been pretty good in staying healthy this year starting to play back-to-backs contributing on a more consistent basis Ben Simmons has been an absolute beast and I know there's a lot of discussion of who should win rookie of the year with Simmons or Mitchell you really can't go wrong but what Simmons is doing on a, on a really good playoff team in the Sixers um, it, it's just his versatility his uniqueness makes him stand out so much and the fact that he's shows this much poise already in his, what is essentially his rookie season is really incredible for me. Obviously, Fultz is another red flag there, but then you look at the solid role players they have, Dario Saric, TJ McConnell, you know, they could fill in some other role players this summer if they wanted to, or maybe they could acquire a veteran to start winning big with this core, but the fact that the Sixers definitely have two stars and potentially have three stars in this league where if you have two to three stars, you're going to be a winning team, this is why I picked the Sixers over the Celtics. So who do you have in your number one slot in the young cores? And and if it's maybe the Sixers, you can continue commenting on them. Or maybe if it's someone else, you know, why did you have someone else above the Sixers?
1: Okay, well, I was actually right with you with the Philadelphia 76ers for their number one spot. I, just as you said, it's just a lot of players, well, four in this case, that have star potential. They, and, and, and two right now that are actual studs in Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons Um, we already know you already went into a little bit. I would have included TJ McConnell, but in my eyes, he's already 25. And in my eyes, he's not exactly a part of the core, more of an ancillary piece, but he's still a very productive player. But Joel Embiid's just a beast. Um, Ben Simmons is averaging 16 points a game with no type of jump shot. And Sarek has not only improved from last year to this year, but he's also proven to be a nice fit with the other two. And he's been knocking down threes at a 38% clip. And so it's not only the youth, um, all of the top three, including Markel Fultz. So all four of them are um, 23 and younger, but also the way they fit. Because Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons can make, when Markel Fultz obviously is back fully with his um, arm issue, but they can make a very good backcourt ball handling tandem. Joel Embiid is still going to be a beast inside and his versatility to stretch the floor from three. And Dario Sarge is a very good power forward combo forward type where on the offensive end, he can also bring in some playmaking, some versatility from that spot. So I really like how they all fit together. And oh, by and large, they're they're young, but they're already making such an impact now. I mean, later teams, you have um, young players who are the stars and like, are also pieces or also parts of a of a strong team or or you know highlights of a team. But for Philadelphia, when you first think of them, you think of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. They have veteran pieces to support them, but they are the the main attraction if, in, in that sense. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and going back to what you said about kind of them getting the experience, they're going to almost guaranteed to play a playoff series this season, which would be very good for them in their experience and their development. And then you mentioned their fit, and I think that. They're so unique, and, and obviously Ben Simmons is you know one of the most unique players in the league right now. Obviously, he's 6'10", he he plays point guard on offense, but can guard pretty much any position on defense. You know He can he can attack bigger players on him, and you have to put it either, you don't really know who to guard him with. You guard him with, if you don't have a really good defensive wing, which they have in a guy like Robert Covington, who doesn't make the list because they think he's 26 or 27, but still a very good player for their team. But if you don't have a guy who, who's really good defensively on the wing, it's like, who do you guard Ben Simmons with? Then, of course, you've got Embiid down low, who only a handful of centers could even think about guarding him, and even then they can get exposed. And then if Fultz can come back, he can be, you know, provide a more dynamic playmaking um, on the on the perimeter. Hopefully his shot can come back. I know it's the short—this is one of the weirdest injuries, by the way, in, in recent memory. I can't remember something so strange and the way that the team has kind of misinformed the public. It's just a mess. Um, but if all of them can stay healthy, I think they're so unique. Even Embiid as a center is, is extremely unique. Uh, they're fun. They're easy to root for. They've got all the things going for them, and I think that the experience of getting a playoff series under their belt, having good veterans in the locker room like a J.J. Redick, maybe in this uh, upcoming summer they have the cap space to maybe bring in a, a big fish, a big free agency signing to maybe push this, this process really into the, the stretch run of actually being a top three, top four team in the East. But regardless of that, they're going to get a lot of experience. They're extremely unique. Extremely young, extremely talented. There are injury risks for Embiid and most likely Fultz at this point. Simmons has looked very healthy so far. So I think that the sky is really the limit for this Sixers team. And they're so young that they don't even have to strike for like another three or four years. And by then, you know, the Cavs are probably going to be, you know, back down in the East. And really their prime competitor will be the team I had in second is the Boston Celtics. I'm not sure if you had the Celtics in second or not.
1: Yes, sir. I totally did. And for me, it was a mix. As you said, it was it was youth and the five I'm listening, Jalen Brown, 21, Jason Tatum, 20, Mark Smart, 23, Terry Rozier, 23, and I even put Sami Ozilay at, at 23. But they, they don't have perhaps the star potential of the 76ers in their impact right now, but they're all very serviceable players, and their combined youth, I mean, that's basically a starting five right there. I mean, you wouldn't ideally want that to be a starting five, but <laughs> for for the youth and the talent that they're already showing, that's impressive to me. And so just going in, I, at the beginning of the year, Boston wasn't even in my top five of best young course. But the way they've been playing, um, they, three of the four yesterday, or three of the five, gave a great performance against the Rockets yesterday. And that was really impressive. And they've kind of won me over. Um, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, two productive wings who can shoot, defend, create their own shot. And they're serious starters and rotation players because of the Gordon Hayward injury for the number two team in the East. But regardless, they would be they'll be making this impact on any team, in my opinion, just because of their versatility and the maturity in their game, even being so young. Marcus Smart, you know, he can't shoot a lick, but he's a very versatile, tough defender. He's uh, in, in a, re- a really underrated playmaker, and he's an emotional leader for this team. And I had a question mark on putting him there because I don't know if he'll continue to be there young core concerning his free agency it's going to be interesting to see how that goes he is a restricted free agent heading into this offseason but I'm pretty sure he'll stay and he he really makes an impact especially being like I said 23 and Terry Rozier has really wowed me he's improved mightily as a shooter and even though he still projects to me as a score first combo guard he is still 23 and so you know he still has much to learn in that sense he can obviously develop that playmaking eye grow as a guard, and, and and move up. It's not like we're capping him off already. And I even put Semi Ojale. He reminds me of, like, a, a, a stouter buffer, Mikel Petras. I don't remember him, obviously. But his defensive versatility and his insistence on just shooting the three. Um, I looked up a stat. Oddly enough, he's made more threes on the year than twos. He's made 23 three-pointers and 12 two-point conversions, and I thought that was funny. It just reminded me of Petrus in his Phoenix Suns Orlando Magic days, where he just parked behind the line and let it fly. But um, what, what did you think about the Celtics?
0: Yeah, well, I, so I had, the, I had the Celtics in a second, and just a quick note, Kyrie Irving technically is 25 years old, but he's True. turning 26 in like 15 days or something like that, 20 days maybe. So, if you, I think even if you count Kyrie, I think I'd still actually have the Sixers above them, but you know, he's about to turn 26, so I guess I'm not going to count up for this exercise, but I still have the Celtics in second because, as you mentioned, I think that Brown and Tatum are going to be good to potentially one of them being great wings in this league for a long time. They've got the skill set. Brown's got that tough defense. He's developed a shot. Tatum is looking like a very, very good uh, offensive option. Um, You know, will he ever become a number one go-to option that can really lead a top 10 offense? I'm not sure yet, but he's definitely been showing enough for me to think that that's a possibility. You know, it's not a he's shooting 44% on three-pointers. He's playing 30 minutes a game on a team that's second in the East. Um that's extremely elite and certainly a threat to make the the NBA finals. So that's very impressive and you know, I hate injuries. But if there's only one silver lining about that Gordon Hayward injury is that it's thrusted Brown and Tatum into bigger roles, which they've taken and run with and really developed at a a more rapid rate than I think we expected from guys, at least for Tatum, who's in his rookie year. Maybe Brown, people could see this coming, but maybe not at this rate. So I like that they don't have the star power, like you said, but I do like Brown and Tatum as good to maybe potentially great wings in this league for a long time. You know, Marcus Smart... I'm not sure. Again, like, is he going to be part of the core? We don't know. It's it's similar yeah. to a player we'll talk about later in Julius Randle, I think, is a very similar situation. Um, and he's one of the weirder players. Obviously, he can't shoot to save his life, but yet he <laughs> has such a profound impact on, the, on their defense, on just the mentality of the team that he seems to have, that outweighs his negative offensive value um so I think he's one of the more fascinating players and I think his upcoming restricted free agency is one of the most fascinating to watch this summer and then Terry Rozier like you said is very impressive I you know people were laughing when all the reports came out that Ainge wouldn't trade for Paul George or Jimmy Butler because Rozier was like holding up the deal and everyone was laughing well Rozier has really stepped it up a big notch um this season and and looks to be like a legit potentially starting point guard maybe not on this team because they have Kyrie, but on other teams he could potentially start. So I think that throwing him into this mix um, makes their core really well-rounded. And, you know, sometimes you don't have the star power, but you just have enough pieces to make your core really good. And I think that's what the Celtics have, even even without the star power. Brown, Tatum, Rozier, potentially smart. Ojale, I didn't really include him, but I could see him being a small role player in this core anyways. Um, so because of their depth, you know, just how long how long I think this... Those players will be good in this league, especially Brown and Tatum. That collective, Those collective aspects of the Celtics' young core has them at second for me.
1: Right there with you, man. I, I think we start um, going in different directions with the number three pick. So since you kind of gave me number two, you want to explain what you have for um, your number thir- three young core?
0: Yeah, so this is probably where this is probably where I differ from a lot of people, uh, not just you. <laughs> um, but I have the Denver Nuggets here, and I think i um, maybe I'm a little irrationally high on the Nuggets young core. But you know, I've been watching uh, so many of their games this season, and I, I think it's one of the most enjoyable cores to watch. Um, a core that certainly has some limitations and issues moving forward, but a core that could be very successful if you know put in a good situation, coaching wise, and players fit around them. So for this core, I have Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, and Trey Lyles. And I think it's an underrated core. You know, I, there would definitely be defensive issues because, you know, Trey Lyle's not known for his defense. Murray's not known for his defense. Jokic is certainly not known for his defense. Gary <laughs> Harris's defense is, is slightly overrated. He, he looks like a really good 3 and D wing, um, but the numbers don't really back it up. And he has moments where Gary Harris can play lockdown defense. I saw against Chris Paul the other to- the other week. Um, he had some good moments against the on Cl- the Clippers on Tuesday. Um but for the most part, I wouldn't say he's, you know, a very good defender. He's he's an acceptable defender at this point, but he can still develop. Uh, but I think that this arguably could be the best young core in terms of on the offensive end. And obviously the Sixers are, are going to have two stars and they're already having, you know, already showing that they can lead offenses, but the Nuggets young core, if they play around Jokic, which really hasn't happened enough, and people, I don't think people realize this, is that how much Mike Malone, who's their head coach, has stagnated their offense and Jokic by playing him with other bigs. Uh, before, it was uh, Yusuf Nurkic, before they traded him to the Blazers. Now, when Mason Plumlee's healthy, they like to, they, early in the season, they were playing Jokic and Plumlee together. Um you know having a guy like Paul Millsap there I think is a great veteran presence in the locker room he fits very very well with this young core um obviously not on the timeline of winning because Millsap I think is 32 already um but he is a he's a big that fits next to Jokic you can't put Jokic next to a traditional center like Plumlee or Nurkic it's just not going to work out and your team's not going to reach its full potential um so I think that people don't realize how much this team has, this team's ceiling has been limited this season, and that's why I'd like to see them with a more willing, uh, more creative or adaptive coach than Malone, who seems to fall back on traditional methods. And Malone has more of a defensive background, which is funny because the team is just terrible defensively. Uh, but a te- if they brought in a coach who just embraces the offensive end of the floor, playing through Jokic, cutting um, more threes, etc., more creative play calling, I think this team would be more properly rated than it is now. And finally, my last point is on Gary Harris, who's one of my favorite players in the league. Um, After watching him so much this season, I think he's become extremely underrated. I said his defense is overrated, but as a player overall, especially on the offensive end, I mean, he's the leading scorer on this team, averaging 18 points per game on a team that's most likely going to make the playoffs. And he's shooting 40% on threes. Um... And then you have Jamal Murray who's developing rapidly after struggling not only last season but to begin this season for the first month or two. He, w- he couldn't hit a shot. Um, now you look at him and he's developing as a competent scorer. He looks more confident. This team, when you watch them play at their best, which is playing through Jokic, having these guys cut, having these guys you know, have fun and be engaged, that's when I think that this core can really um, – be appreciated by fans I think that has to happen with a new coach and some other players and you know not playing Jokic with Plumlee or Yusuf Nurkic but that's why I have the Nuggets at third obviously probably would be considered maybe a hot take but I think that this team especially on the offensive end this young core could really take this team to new heights if given the chance
1: you know, you've made a very compelling point for that. Um you're going to be surprised where I have the nuggets on my list or, or maybe you won't be given the conversations we've had in the past. <laughs> but um I'm right there with you. In fact, on Gary Harris, I'm going to go into it. Not really too much, but I think he's a top 10 shooting guard myself. Um just just like you said, he's very efficient. You know, maybe not getting on the defensive end as much as he's touted, but just a really good, just a really good young player. But um my num- my number 3 team here, um the Minnesota Timberwolves and yeah, their core is really just two players I have, and I threw in a third. I have Carlton Towns, age 22, Andrew Wiggins, age 23, and I put Tyus Jones in, um, and he's only 21. Um, I really put them in third because of, of the collective star quality of Towns and Wiggins, and I also think that they could top off as the best in their respective positions in two to three years, although I do need a little bit more rapid improvement from Wiggins because he's kind of scaring me here. But Carlton Towns is one of the best young players in the NBA. Arguably a top 10, I, I thought he was arguably a top 10 MVP candidate. I'm starting to lose a little trust in that, but I had him in there as much as as late as three weeks ago. Um, he's averaging 21, 11, and two assists on 54% shooting from the field and 38% from three. Andrew Wiggins has largely, dis- largely disappointed in my opinion so far, but he's still a promising wing with all-star potential. He's averaging 17, four, and two, and he just turned 23 in my eyes, it just means he has more room to grow. I wish he would progress a little bit faster, but he still has age on his side, so I'm, I'm not really tripping on that. And he is still very much a monster in transition and as a cutter and a slasher. If he just focuses more on rebounding and ball handling and, and, and maybe making the extra read, you know, seeing out of double teams a little faster, being more aware on the court with his court awareness, I think it would speed up his aggression rapidly. And then lastly, I, I'm high on Tyus Jones as an underrated point guard. He's a solid shooter. He does not try to do too much. And a stat I picked up is the Wolves are outscoring opponents by 7.4 points per, per 100 possessions when he's in the game. His stats don't look like much. I mean, he's only getting 18 minutes a game. And with that, he's getting about four points and a rebound and three assists. But he's still a very good shooter, kind of undersized. But the team just seems to gel with him on the floor. And I think that he can grow, if not to be a starter, which, you know, it's, it's difficult to see, but at least a solid part of their rotation um, even more so than now moving forward once Jeff Teague moves on and, you know, whatever moves the Timberwolves decide to make. But I just really can't wait for him to get an opportunity.
0: Yeah, so speaking of Tyus Jones, before I get to the other players you mentioned, I mean, it's it's no coincidence. Whenever there's a Timberwolves game on and, and I, any of the people that I follow that cover the Wolves or are fans of the Wolves, almost every game it's like, when is Thibodeau going to realize that Tyus Jones fits better with the starters, blah, blah, blah. I mean, Tyus Jones just works well with the starters. They play better as you mentioned the stat, outscoring opponents by uh, what was it like 7 points per 100 possessions. Um you know Teague has been good, but I think is too worried about what could happen mentally if you were to bench Jeff Teague. Um but I I think that Tyus Jones just showed a lot of improvement, probably a lot more improvement than people expected. Um and Courtney Towns is a beast. Uh, there's nothing just there's nothing to say about that. He is a monster. Yes, he has struggles on the defensive end. They're not as bad as Jokic's struggles, but they're, they are still there and they are still prominent. I mean, the, the Wolves are are worse than the Nuggets defensively this season. Um, and so we'll see what happens with, You know, without Jimmy Butler. How can these young players lead them the rest of the regular season? Because they've got some tough games coming up to try and hold on to a playoff spot, which would be shocking if they just fall out of the playoffs. But that's how brutal the Western Conference can be. Um, but here's my thing, and here's why I have the Wolves what will be considered very low to other people um because the wolves aren't even my fourth core and i'll get to that in in a moment um (laughs) okay i have a real i have a real problem with andrew wiggins and and so i'm someone who i always look at the numbers and i always look at the advanced numbers and i always like to see you know first when i watch stuff i want to see when i watch wiggins there are moments where i'm like wow like this guy can be a star in this league for a long time. He has those flashes of potential. But then there are other moments where you're like, you know, what is he still doing? Like, yes, he's just turned 23, but this is also his fourth season in the league. So you balance the age versus the actual NBA experience he's had. And then you look at some of these advanced numbers, and obviously these do not tell the entire story, but they paint an alarming picture. His PER is actually at its career low right now, 13.1. For reference, league average is 15. His win share is per 48. Is also at a career low. His win share is overall at a career low, but that's we'll wait till the end of the season. His box plus minus is negative two point seven, which is the same as last year, which was negative two point seven, which is tied for a career low. He's a negative value over replacement player. Um, I mean, he's he's a negative on both ends of the floor according to the advanced metrics. And the thing is, like, it's tough to evaluate young players, and obviously his first two to three years were on bad Timberwolves teams. And this season, it's it's hard for him because, right, they brought in Jimmy Butler, who is an absolute stud, you know, arguably top 10 player in the league, uh, all-star player. And that kind of made Wiggins kind of uncomfortable for the first couple months of the season. They really weren't sure what they were doing, who, goes, who gets the ball crunch time, who gets these shots, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, Jimmy Butler, you know, was like, listen, I'm in my prime. I'm the star of this team right now. Let me take over games. So Wiggins took a backseat role. And now we'll see. Butler's out for potentially the rest of the regular season. We'll see what Wiggins does, how he is, how efficient he is scoring. Obviously, Towns is still the number one option. um, So I'd like to see Towns get more shots because sometimes there are games where Towns is just not active enough in terms of taking shots. But I want to see what Wiggins can do down the stretch of this regular season because he hasn't really been an efficient scorer throughout his career. Uh, You know, his true shooting percentage is 52.8 for his career, which is, is fine, but not, you know, not good. Um he hasn't really hit the 3 at a consistent rate his career 33% and he's 33% this season though he's attempting more so I, you know that is a good thing you know sometimes volume can make up for the lack of efficiency but I need to see a lot more. You know, you mentioned the you know maybe he can improve his ball handling, playmaking. He's down to one point eight assists per game, which is a Yikes. career which is a career low. Um, if you think about it, like for a guy who you know last year his usage was twenty nine percent. This year it's it's dipped to twenty three point seven percent. But even that year he had that last year he had twenty nine percent usage. He only had two point three assists per game. I mean, I, there needs to be more playmaking. There needs to be more consistent defensive effort because. I mean, no one's going to say he doesn't have the athleticism to be a very good defender in this league. And, you know, hopefully, you know, when Butler was there, he was showing more defensive, you know, intensity and and regular attention on that end of the floor. But now we'll see if, as he takes a bigger offensive role, does the defense slip again. And same thing goes for Towns as well. Because, you know, for this core and this team to really make it in the West, which is a brutal conference, they have to improve defensively. Which is the same, you could say, for the Nuggets as well. Um, But really, it comes down to this. Uh, I've been rambling on the on the wolves, who aren't even my next core. But uh, <laughs> I love Towns. I think Towns is is better overall than Jokic right now. Um, and I like Tyus Jones as that third piece of a core. But the Wiggins, I think Wiggins is just so overrated by fans that they they instantly think that he can make the starter to the jump to stardom. And I'm not sure it's going to happen. Like at this point, and this might be a hot take. At this point, I think Gary Harris is as likely to become an all-star as Andrew Wiggins. I I, I really do. Whoa. I, I mean, you watch Gary Harris, and you, not only the numbers back this up, but when you watch him, his, his awareness, He, he obviously he, he has lapses on the defensive end, but you see plays where he's locking down guys like Chris Paul. Um, you see his ability to hit the three. You know, you know another thing about Harris I like, and, and really a lot of the Nuggets, is that they cut so well off the ball, something that also could benefit the Wolves and Andrew Wiggins. So... Overall, I think it just – the concern I have for Wiggins is what bumps down the Wolves' core on my list. I'm not sure if you, you want to talk about the Wolves a little bit more before I get to my next core because I've been rambling forever.
1: <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm definitely with you. In fact, you gave some I, – I, I look at Andrew Wiggins. I can't say I've looked at the Wolves intently in that sense because obviously I see Andrew Wiggins. He's one of those players where he can take over and you're like, whoa, you know, down to stretch. He can't be stopped. And then he does a disappearing act. And as you said, when he gets the ball, he's either shooting – <laughs> or or the ball just kind of t- turn over, disappears from his hands. I didn't know that his assists were that low. That that was shocking to me. And I did read it, and I was like, oh, I just bumped up to two assists per game. But, you know, he is, it, it's it's rather it's rather scary. Now that you say that, you've kind of put more of a damper on my selection. I have to rethink that. But I was looking at, okay, you know, he is 23, and the potential is there. But at a certain point, I mean, it's like the Jeff Green complex. The potential's going to wane away, and they're going to be like, okay, dude's 28 29 we've been talking about potential for years and maybe this is who he is i'm really hoping it's not the case of wiggins but i guess i am one of the majority where i feel you know if Carl lee towns plays to his best of his ability and andrew wiggins just wakes up and, and also gets to where he should be in many of our eyes then they will be the third best young core but after you said all those stats I, i'm, I'm kind of reconsider myself on um how i feel about that but um yeah I'm, <laughs> it's shocking
0: <laughs> yeah well and with Wiggins, it's like I think it'd be great for him to make the jump, or even you know show small steps. Because this year, this year I think everyone would agree it's been a consensus, you know, step in the wrong direction just across the board in his game. Partially, you know, due to Jimmy Butler's emergence, maybe you know I'm not sure what else it could be. Just not you know him not getting along with Thibodeau, the, the heavy minutes he's led the league in minutes last season, and he's still leading the league in minutes this season. But at this point, it's like everyone's like, oh, he's still so young. He just turned 23, and as I mentioned before, it's like. Do we do we what do we put more? Um, what do we rely on more? His young age, just turning twenty three, or the fact that this is his fourth season in the league? So his first two, or really his first three, were on bad Wolves teams, especially those first two. So it's like, yeah, he's a young, super young player on a bad team. You build bad, um, you know, build bad mental habits. You know, build bad physical habits, etc. And then now he's on his fourth season in the league, and he's finally on a team that has aspirations of, of getting home court obviously before Butler went down and you still see these bad habits and you still see these kind of dumbfounding plays for a guy in his fourth year so he's 23 but this is also his fourth year he's played over 300 games in the NBA so it's like which one do you want to rely on more that he's just going to continue to get better with the age or he's already dealt with enough NBA experience where he can still improve and improve a lot but he's not going to make that jump to, to superstardom or even stardom for that matter you know if, if you could switch Gary Harris and, and, and Wiggins and Put Harris on the Wolves and Wiggins on the Nuggets. I think I'd have the Wolves over the Nuggets, or at least over this team I have next. But I think it's Wig- My concerns with Wiggins is what maybe clouds my overall view of the of the Wolves' young core. Because I think Towns is an absolute stud, and I think Tyus Jones is a very good third piece. But I have concerns there. But that's a lot of Wolves talk. Because I want to still get to my uh, team that I have fourth, and this also comes down to you know how how much do we put on one player as a young core and that's the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis and Ndokupo. because I think that it's pretty clear that Giannis is the best young player that we, that we've discussed so far on, on any of these teams I think Giannis is the best young player he's probably going to finish top five in MVP voting this season he is I, I would comfortably place a bet on Giannis winning an MVP in his career that's just how good he is um, and then you want to try and analyze this as a core so you bring in guys like jabari parker and thon maker who apparently it's called it's pronounced maker but i'm going to say maker um (laughs) (laughs) um, and i I think that there are concerns over both of those players um maker has taken a step back this year in in a significant amount of ways his his rebounding is, is extremely poor for a center that's obviously not that's obviously a big issue and then with parker we know about the issues. It's it's the injuries, right? The two torn ACLs in the same leg. Um, he, he looks good every time you see him. He's not good defensively at all. I mean, if you're watching Jabari Parker and you want to watch his defense, you'll you'll probably have similar concerns to a guy like Andrew Wiggins. Um, and, you know, they were drafted one and two in the same draft class. But um, the injury concerns are a problem. Parker can be a very, very good offensive player, probably a, maybe a number two option on a good offense, but m- more likely a, a third option on a really good offense. He can hit the three as a floor spacing four, he can drive to the rim, he's super athletic, he can take advantage of, of other bigs, um, you know, there are still concerns injury-wise and defensively for Jabari Parker. Then I, I already talked about Malcolm Brogdon at the beginning of when we were setting this age limit. He's already 25, Brogdon. How much more development do we expect from Malcolm Brogdon? I think that's going to be a, a key part of this young core, you know, if he can, you know, he was really good in his rookie season and, he you know, he won Rookie of the Year, This season, it's been hit or miss. He's hitting less of his threes, he's playing more, um, his assists are down. It's a a weird season for Brogdon, and he's kind of flown under the radar in Milwaukee, but I think that his development, or maybe if he doesn't develop the rest of his career at all at at age 25— you know, that's a big deal. Of course, that's interesting because we're talking about Wiggins being only 23, but have playing four years already in the league. And now we're talking about Brogdon, who's 25, but this is this is just his second season in the league. So it's like that balance between age versus NBA experience. True. Um, so, you know, my, my questions are, is Jabari Parker part of this team's long-term plans? You know, like Marcus Smart, he's going to be a restricted free agent. This Bucks team is very expensive. If they can't get off some of the bad contracts they have, um, like Toledovic, like a Henson, maybe even Del Vadova if a team throws big money at Jabari Parker, do the Bucks say, you know what, this guy has serious injury concerns? Is he, you know, is he even, is he good enough defensively to even play thirty plus minutes a game? Can he fit perfectly next to Giannis, who, you know, might ideally be a, a power forward moving forward? Um, is Parker part of their long-term plans? That's an answer I think will be answered. A question that will be answered this summer. And then again, I talked about the Nuggets. Um, I'd like to see them with a more adaptive, willing, free-flowing coach. Well, the same goes for the Bucs. i I like to see this team with a a coach that's more open to experiment offensively. Also, obviously, Jason Kidd had some questionable des- decisions, and we've talked enough about Jason Kidd on this podcast. Boy, if you go back to uh, <laughs> October, November, and December, I think every podcast I had something to say about Jason Kidd and his questionable tactics and strategies, but he is gone. Um and I think that they're gonna probably bring in a new head coach this summer. Rumors are David Fisdale. I like That'd to see I nice. like to see other, you know, under the radar assistant coaches. A guy like Chris Finch, who's in New Orleans, who has done really well for their offense, who was previously in Denver. He is known for his um, offensive creativity, um, exploration, willingness to experiment offensively. I think I I like to see a coach like that, maybe an underappreciated assistant. Or if they'll get with this team and be more adaptive, use Giannis. Giannis is one of the most unique players in NBA history. He should be, you know, running in transition more, not playing at a slower pace. Um, you know, we'll see if Jabari is still part of the plans. But this team, I want to see with a uh, better coach and a coach more willing to adapt and create offensively, like the Nuggets. But I have the Bucks fourth.
1: Um, I'm right there with you, actually, and a lot of your points I do agree with. It's going to be interesting to me to see. How Jabari Parker's um, injury history and free agency plays out, because as you said, defensively, very, very much a work in progress. Offensively, I've liked that he started to add that three point shot, and he's he's always been able to fill it up. But that is something I am considering moving forward. And if he will be a part of this Bucks team, and whether the Bucks will go, hey, you know, he's an integral part of our core. We need to keep him. Or as you said, um, you know, we we can move on. You know, we can cut our losses and and see who we can pick up in the draft or do a trade or. Whatever, what may have you. So that's something. And as as you said, Thon Maker, and I will say Maker until he averages more than five rebounds a game. <laughs> right now he's averaging 3.3, and that's a career high, which uh, is just shocking. When you're seven foot one with a seven foot wingspan, I, I get that you're thin, but that that that's not an excuse for me, man. You could get a rebound just standing near the rim, in my opinion. But <laughs> um, whatever. So that's that's something. But I put them forth mainly because of Giannis. I mean. He was top five in MVP voting pretty much most of the year. And honestly, if you're if really thinking about it, he's probably still in there, a distant five. But he's still in the conversation, in my opinion. He He's just a, a great player. He rebounds like a center, handles and passes like a guard, completely unguardable on the open floor. If he can develop a three-point shot and really hone his jumper, then in my opinion, he raises this Bucks core ceiling considerably because then everyone can slot into more secondary roles to accompany Giannis. So Jabari can be more like, a, uh, and I hate to say this, but maybe a Michael Beasley type scoring combo forward role. Um, Thonmaker can just focus on rebounding and stretching the floor. Malcolm Brogdon, yes, 25, and he will be 26 by the next season. But, I mean, and he, he's not really a part of their core, in my opinion, but he's very much a, a serviceable point guard who, you know, team control for a couple of years. So I think they'll be fine there. And, and a sad I found, even looking at Giannis, and this has nothing really to do with the core, per se, is just more of his play. But when he has two or more days of rest, his numbers in practically every category rise. I wanted to read this to you real quick and see what you thought about this. But when he's playing off of um, you know no, no days rest or one day rest, he averages 27 points a game on 53% shooting, 24% from three, yikes, 10 rebounds a game, and one steal, one and a half steals. When he has two days or more, That jumps to 29.7 points per game, but he's shooting 56% from the field. His three-point shooting jumps from 24% to 42%. Don't know why. I wanted to get your input on that. And his rebound's about the same, and he averages, I think, like a quarter of a steal more than than he did off of one day. But I thought that was kind of crazy. What what do you think about that? I don't know why. His jump shot seems about the same, in my opinion.
0: (laughs) Well, I think it... Well, I mean, yeah. Obviously, all this is speculation, but then you look at the fact that he's playing 37 minutes a game, which leads the league <laughs> in terms of minutes played per game. And then you look at some of these, um, some looking at his game log, and you just want to look at the minutes played, and you're like, "What?" So they played today against the Sixers, which they won. He played 42 minutes. They played fr- Friday that he played 43 minutes. Um, you know, he then I'm going to read. He played 30. Then he played 39. Then 40. Then 45 then 39, then 38, then 40, then 35, he plays a lot of minutes. So I think that obviously having an extra day of rest to recover from that minutes load, and I think that he is only 23, but why play him over 40 minutes? Why even play him over 38 (laughs) minutes a game? Like, sure, he's young, but you've got to rest him, not only for the rest of his career, but for this postseason. This team has a chance to win a playoff series if everything goes right. They maybe can sweep into some home court advantage, I think that he just plays so many minutes per game that having the extra day of rest just gives his legs more energy, more lift. Um, you know, that, that's, only, that's the only thing I can think of. I, I, I mean, I think about it like they've got to cut his minutes down at least by a couple of minutes per game just for this season so he can be fully rested for the playoffs because the Bucks go as Giannis goes. That's just, that's just how the team is. That's for this season. That's for the next five to ten years too. So they've got to manage him properly
1: right there with you man that that is something I did not realize that um they were pulling the uh coach Tibbs with Giannis (laughs) and just playing him so much but that is something hopefully they realize what they have and like I said if he in my opinion once he gets that jump shot honed down and gets that three-point shot I, I really don't see how how teams can stop him on the open floor you know pick and roll as the ball handler as the role man is just so much versatility and he still rebounds just as well and, and with his length and athleticism on the defensive end jeez but i am concerned about the other players with the bucks maybe with another summer they can develop and and we see something more from um McCur, maker oh my goodness i'm gonna think about that for the rest of the night <laughs> And then hopefully we see what's done with Jabari. But yeah, they go as Giannis goes, and and we'll see what what happens moving forward. But I'm I'm a you with the number five. At least I think well, that. I, I, I have an interesting huh?
0: question for you before you get to here. Before we change oh. teams, so okay, I have so I had the Wolves at four. Uh, I have the Wolves at five, but I already talked about them enough. So I'm going to use my little minute or two to ask you a question. If I could, if I could promise you that Jabari Parker stays plays at least 65 games every season for the next seven years or whatever. Who would you rather have Jabari Parker or Andrew Wiggins?
1: Ooh, that is a good one.
0: Uh, um, it, it's a fascinating <laughs> question. I think.
1: No, I'm right there with you. Cause I'm trying to think of what separates the two and I'm like, Oh, well, Wiggins is a better three point shooter. Um, not exactly. So especially <laughs> the way he's been shooting this year, ball handling and passing. That's not exactly their fortes. Um, wow, that is good. And and they're both, the same age, Andrew Wiggins is actually a year older, well, a couple months older. So, ooh, you know it's funny. I'm, if you could promise the same, uh, I'm going to go. I'm. Oh my goodness! I say I still want to go with Wiggins because I still think versatility-wise, and especially as a slasher and cutter, I think he's underrated in those regards. He's really good at that. But Jabari is just. I mean, especially on the offensive, and I'd like to say he's more efficient. Just getting his shot, getting to where he needs to be. And I don't see the day-to-day, will he show up, won't he show up, that I see with Wiggins. So, oh, man, I'm a, mm, that's rough. You know what's funny? I'm going to go with – I'm actually going to buck what I would normally say, tradition here, and I'm going to go with Jabari Parker if I can at least be promised 65 games with him. Just because he still has – that little extra bit of youth, and for the most part, you know what you're going to get from him if he's healthy and, and, and playing at a productive level. But I, what, what do you think? This is That's a good question.
0: Yeah, so obviously in real life we don't get that promise that he's going to play 65 games a year, which makes <laughs> the question a lot harder. If you, if you promise me that he's going to play even 60 games or 65 games a year, I'm taking Parker um, fairly comfortably. If you can't promise me anything injury-wise – yeah, you have to think about it for a long time, and I might just go with Wiggins just because you know if you pick Parker and he gets injured again, you know who knows what happens to his career. But if you're if we're taking this question as he will not have a significant injury for the next you know five to seven years, I think I'm taking Parker. I, like you said, he's he's more efficient offensively. They both are pretty bad defensively. I'd say Parker's a little bit worse, but Wiggins has certainly has his bad moments. Um, you know, I like. I'm not a huge fan of Jabbar Parker. I think that he has his place in the NBA. I'm not sure if you, if he can be a guy you play 32, 33 upwards of 35 minutes a game as a starter mainly due to his defensive issues and, you know, he's last year he averaged 20 points a game on on pretty good efficiency. Um, you know, he hit uh 37% of his threes, he shot 49% from the field, his you know, his true shooting percentage was a really good 56.3, which is, you know, above league average for the most part. PER last season was nineteen point one, which is, you know, pretty good. Um, but there are concerns for his game as well. Obviously the injuries, obviously on defensive end of the floor. But Wiggins, while he doesn't have the injury issues, he certainly has the defensive end of the floor issues. He's not a good playmaker or creator. He's not more of a he's not a he's a less efficient scorer. Um and then of course the defense as well. And you know, it's a tough question. I think it's fascinating. They were obviously drafted one and two, but right now I think I take Parker if he's if you he can promise me he's not going to have a significant injury. If you can't promise me that, I think really really long and hard about it and I might lean Wiggins, but overall I think I take Parker if you can assure me some form of health. But, you know, I, yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's funny cuz I was just looking up like comparing their um statistics for the regular season for their career. And Andrew Wiggins has the edge at almost 20 points a game, Jabari at 15, mostly obviously cuz of injuries. And then Jabari has basically a rebound and a half more than Wiggins at 5.5 to 4.1. But they're both averaging two assists per game. (laughs) And Wiggins is 2.1. They both average at least one steal per game, and they're both at 0.5 blocks per game. So they're basically almost an identical player. They both shoot sub-50% from the field and sub-35% from three, and they're both hovering in the mid-70s from the free throw line. This is for their careers. So I'm like, you just rolling out the same player, maybe one more injury history. But wow, that is very—that is a very fascinating question. That's that's gonna—you should ask that on Dunk Don, man. That might get <laughs> even on the NBA forums. That would get a little bit of a rise. Obviously, they've been compared since college, but to think that four years later we'd see their careers kind of evolve and they would be almost exactly the same player—I don't think we saw that going in.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, all right, that, that, that's another. That, that was my uh, Wolves portion for them. For me, having them fifth, I wanted to use that time to answer, ask that question. So, who do you have as your fifth young core?
1: All right. So. Uh, shouldn't be a surprise, but maybe it is a surprise. I have my own LA Lakers. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) We have Lonzo Ball, 20. Kyle Kuzma, um, we have Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram. They're both 20. Kyle Kuzma's 22. Julius Randle, 23. Um, I even put Josh Hart 22 Avisha Zubach at 20 I even threw KCP in there even though he's, mm-hmm. I, I really shouldn't have I, I was getting a little homerish in that instance he's more Kyrie Irving Malcolm Brogdon 25 not even really a part of the core especially KCP on that one-year deal um the verdict is still de- to be determined whether he'll even be with the team moving forward I'm actually torn I'm not sure but moving back to this young core um four four of the top of the contributors I mentioned all under age 25. Um, Four of the really heavy hitters are 23 or younger. Lonzo Ball, good for a a 10, 7, and 7 nightly. And his jumper has really started to come around of late. I mean, he went 6 of 10 against the Spurs all from 3. And when he's getting that confidence together in his mechanisms, it's really looking better. And I've really liked it, especially being that if you actually ever played me in the streets, um, Eric, you'd see I have the exact same jump shots. So, you know, half of it half of it is really just having your confidence on your form, however unorthodox it may be. And then the other half is, hey, can you actually put the ball in the hole? So it's really reassuring to see Lonzo um, start to find his confidence in his stroke because I'm not gonna lie, I was getting just a little bit worried. Um Kyle Kuzma, just a really smooth offensive player. He just has a picturesque jump shot and, and You know, he he surprised people early. He was just getting, racking up 20 points here, 25 points there. And then he did hit a wall. And now he's kind of just settling into what we think he's going to be. Defensively, he's okay. Offensively, that's where he's, you know, good off the bounce. Um, He's surprisingly quick for more of a power forward player. He he sometimes plays small forward in Luke Walton's funky little lineups there. But for the most part, he's definitely a power forward. But his jump shot is just a thing of beauty. And Brandon Ingram continues to grow just as a multifaceted wing who can score, rebound, and create for others. And I've really liked his improvement this year. And I realized, I was hoping that all this time playing him at point guard you know, during the dog years of um, last year and even some this year would pay off because he's starting to have that eye now when he attacks the basket to look on that weak side or to make that wraparound pass, passes that he wasn't making you know, when he first came to the NBA. And it's really reassuring to see on that end. And Julius Randle, man, I've, I've been on Randall Island. I know you've had some equity up there, if I remember, for a while now. <laughs> So it's really good to see him coming around, accepting his role, and just playing like a monster. And he's a question mark, as you mentioned earlier, with his restricted free agent status. And we're not really sure what the Lakers are going to do. You know, we do know they have that max cap space for those two free agents. Is Julius Randle a part of their plans? I would hope so, because, you know, a young big like that who's a bulldozer in the paint and around the glass. And he's also, just like Ball, a triple-double threat. You know, he can take the ball end-to-end. End. Um, he's improving on his jumper, and he's just been a really hard-nosed player. I, I really hope we – we not we. I really hope the Lakers um, seriously consider keeping him on a pretty, you know, team-friendly contract, but obviously giving him his money moving forward. But I want to hear your, your thoughts on that. But before I get there, I actually have also liked Josh Hart, a really heady player, dog defender. He's a pretty good three-point sh- shooter. And he's a really good piece with his young guns, even if he's in some of Luke Walton's funky lineups where he plays him at point guard and just, just out of position, in my opinion. He's one of those shooting guard spots where he's kind of just locked in. He can switch on point guards, a pretty, pretty good defender. And even though he's sitting out these next few weeks with his hand injury, I think it's safe to say that he has himself a, a spot locked down on this team, at least for the future um, short term here. But what do you think about the Lakers and where you have them? I probably don't have them at fifth, I don't think, but... What do you think about them and specifically Julius Randle and his restricted free agency?
0: Yeah, so the Lakers' core, I think, is very fascinating, and I had some doubts about this core, you know, as recently as entering this season, even a couple of months ago. If you ask me, I, I think I had some doubts about this core, but I'm starting to feel a lot better about them. Lonzo Ball. There, for, there are so many things to break down. So let's start off with let's start, yeah. off, with, <laughs> let's start off with the question you asked about Julius Randle. I, I have a. Big piece of land on julius randall island um we are, <laughs> we are we're getting to the point where the the island will be shut off to uh tourists and visitors looking to uh purchase land because we're getting to that point where you know it's, it's about time people either get on the ship or don't i'm still on it and so for the season he's playing 25 minutes per game and he's averaging 15 basically 15 points seven and a half rebounds two and a half assists obviously Per 36-minute stats are not always the perfect way to say, oh, this guy could be really good if he played, you know, real starters minutes above, you know, 32, 33 minutes a game. But, Julius Randle, per 36-minute stats, 21.6 points per game, 10.8 rebounds per game, 3.5 assists per game. Th- those are Really, really good numbers. Obviously, there are you know issues okay. defensively. You know he can't can he, he can't really protect the rim at his size. Sometimes he's not really engaged. You know the the mental focus sometimes you know comes and goes as it does with the other young players. But especially with Randall, if he's not really you know getting active in the offense, not really engaged, that could you know come back to bite his team in terms of how focused and locked in he is. But when you get a locked in Randall, he can switch on the perimeter. He can disrupt defensively. You know, uh, you know, in terms of switching and lateral movement, probably not at the rim. And then you get a physical, bruising, you know, undersized big who can get his points, um, bruising on the inside, cleaning up in the offensive glass. He's a he's a much better passer than people think. I really like Julius Randle. I think his his restricted free agency is going to be very interesting. There are rumors that a team like the Mavericks are, might throw some money at him if they swing out swing and miss on a guy like Aaron Gordon. Um, but I do think that he will get a decent offer from another team, and it'll be interesting to see if the Lakers interested in bringing him back. Because obviously, all the reports of the Lakers are going to go, you know, pretty big on getting a big free agent like Apollo George. Um, so, you know, that's another aspect of the Lakers team that could threaten their young core in some way. But I do, I do think that Randall should they should try and keep him if they can at a realistic rate, um, because I'm a big fan of him. Lonzo Ball, obviously, it's well known that he struggled to start the year, uh, and then he got kind of hurt. But you look at his last five games; he's shooting sixty three point six percent on threes, and for the season, he's up to thirty three point six um, percent from beyond the arc. I would not be surprised if by the end of the year, that gets up to above thirty five percent. I wouldn't be surprised. He shot well at UCLA. You know, obviously, he, the sh- shots come and go. You know, it was his first <laughs> couple of months in the in the league, and you know, maybe he's getting a shot with him, and he could finish the year above thirty five percent, which is pretty much league average. Um,
1: look at Jason Tatum. In my opinion, right?
0: Exactly. So you, you, it's it's hard to predict shooting sometimes. And you, you look at Marco Fultz; he can't even shoot the ball. Um, <laughs> so then and then you look at the fact that, you know, Lonzo's still playing really good defense. Like it's being now it's at the point where it's getting underrated how good Lonzo's defense has been, yeah. especially as a rookie. And then obviously averaging the seven assists and seven rebounds per game, you know, he just he provides so many mean he just he just contributes in so many aspects which is why I think I'm a big fan of of where he's going to be and where he has been, you know, especially recently over this past month leading the Lakers to some some big wins, 5 in a row, big road win over the Spurs where he hit a couple of threes you know, late in crunch time. Um, oh. and, and the other thing with point guards is that for the most part point guards usually take longer to develop. So and that certainly will probably be the case in this year's class. You know, Markel Fultz has been healthy, Lonzo Ball starting to get it together. Dennis Smith Jr. has shown some flashes, but obviously has a lot to grow. Same thing with De'Aaron Fox. Frank Nielakina has been really good defensively, but looks really, really, really raw offensively. So point guards take longer to develop. That's what's going to happen with Lonzo, but he's, he's showing some promising there. Kyle Kuzma, a natural scorer, I think. There are concerns about, like, his age and how much more development he has in him. Again, that's kind of that thing of, like, age versus NBA, actual NBA experience. But just the fact that he's been able to show that he can be a go-to scorer... Um, at this point uh, in his rookie season is, is a big promising development for the Lakers. Um, John. Oh, so Brandon, let's get to Brandon Ingram. Cause I think that I've been, he's probably the player that I've been most impressed with the jump he made, obviously. So he averaged, you know, nine points per game last season could not shoot at all. 29% on threes. Mm. Excuse me. Um, and then you look he's playing 34 minutes a game this year hitting 38% of his threes he's jumped up to 16 points per game he's jumped up to pretty much four assists per game 5.4 rebounds per game he's a wing who's actually playmaking for others you mentioned him you know pretty much playing him at point guard a lot of these stretches of his rookie year and some this year that's that's paid dividends he's he's playmaking he's creating he's hitting his threes which is a big part of his career moving forward to be able to hit that three at, at least above league league average rate which he's certainly doing this year um I think that Brandon Ingram's jump this year has led me to believe that he can be a real star. Like we're not, we're talking, you know, multi-time all-star. And that can happen with Lonzo Ball. That that can happen it's probably those are probably the only two on this team I think could be you know multi-time All Stars. I wouldn't put Kuzma there yet. Um, I like Josh Hart. I don't think he'll reach that level. Randall. What
1: about um, Randall? Yeah.
0: I don't think he'll reach that level. I think that he's just a little bit too inconsistent. You know, mentally at least, um, to really yeah. be locked in enough to be that multi-time All Star or even get an All Star appearance at all. But I think Randall is a perfect you know, side piece in this young core or any young core, you know, if eventually if another team signs him Uh, and then KCP, you know, obviously you threw him in there. I just put him here in a question mark. Uh, Is he going to be on the team next year? You know, is he even (laughs) really part of a young core anywhere he is? But I do think that Ingram's big jump balls, recent development. I'm always there on on Randall Island Kuzma, natural scoring ability, Josh Hart's kind of craftiness and good play as a potential three and D wing moving forward. That's why I'm starting to feel better, I'm starting to feel a lot better about the Lakers' young core moving forward.
1: Hey, we you know we we can only hope and and and, and trust in a uh, Magic Johnson here and Rob Palenka to take these young kids and you know they're they're playing really well. That you know it's funny I was sitting there going, hey, they're only a couple spots out of out of ninth, and then you know a run here, you know I was starting to get delusional Laker fan talk right in my head about <laughs> playoffs, but you know give them another year, let's see let's see what this. Decisions, Magic and Rob Polinka make, and yeah, you know, moving forward, the Lakers have a really promising future. I'm excited. I went from being a little bit shaky on them before we made those trades, but now that I think, I see the the team that we might have moving forward, at least four or five of these pieces, um, I'm a lot more excited again. But um, did you have another team at, uh, for number six?
0: So. I think – so I would probably – I would have the Lakers at number six. So I have okay. the Wolves at five, so I have the Lakers at six. Then you get to these teams where I really didn't even rank. Um, so I have – there are two teams that I think are, are very interesting in their own way. First team is the Utah Jazz, and that's because they're headlined, obviously, by Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, who is 25. And it's like, do you throw him in there when we've kind of excluded the other 25-year-olds or Kyrie's about to turn 26? And – You know, for the Jazz, I guess they, as a team, when they're evaluating their team, they look at those two as the franchise cornerstones for the next seven years or so, at least for Gobert's case, until he reaches the end of his prime. You know, Mitchell probably for the next 10 years, and so at least. Those are two stars that can anchor their team uh, and be good on both ends of the floor. Mitchell has been incredible, being a number one option offensively for this team. Gobert is you know, one of if not the best defensive big in the league, and you see when he's on the floor just how good he is on their defense. Uh, he's missed a bunch of time this year, but when he's been back, he's been he's been starting to take over games like he did last year when he was having that breakout season and finished second in uh, second in defensive player of the year voting. Um, so you add Mitchell and Gobert, that's really it. But I mean, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, just having those two it makes up a whole core right there. So I think the Jazz are an interesting case, and, and then I'll mention the indiana pacers who are another interesting one because victor oladipo obviously having this breakout year he is 25 as well so it's like it, it's hard to evaluate how much of a bigger step he has but then again he made this step to be an all-star this year if he can just stay at this level for the next five year he five years he's probably going to be a three or four maybe five time all-star which is incredible to believe if someone told you that last year so you know the oladipo one is interesting like who on the Lakers could reach Oladipo's level of, of season, you know, this year, like maybe Brandon Ingram could get it. Maybe Lonzo ball could get it. I'm not sure I'd ever see him being that much of a score, just a natural score. Cause Victor Oladipo is averaging 24 points per game, 5.4 rebounds, 4.3 assists, 2.2 steals per game, which leads the league, um, on good efficiency, hitting 37% of his threes. Um, And the Pacers, you know, have a top 10 offense, which is what no one expected coming into the season. So uh, you have to give so much credit to Oladipo to make that huge jump from last year where he looked kind of like a misfit in Oklahoma City and obviously struggled in Orlando, but a a huge jump to all-star level for him. And then you look at Miles Turner and Damanis Sabonis are the two other pieces. Turner, I think, is 21 or turning 22. Can he turn into a more real defensive threat and can he be more consistent because so far those are the two issues that have plagued Miles Turner throughout his career um, is just he chases blocks too much he's not active enough defensively he's not engaged enough he's hit or miss gets banged up by injuries a couple times you know a year and then Sabonis has also taken a smaller jump but again this is due mainly to just being in a more natural fit as a, as like a backup center instead of being the what quote-unquote floor spacing power for that the Thunder desperately wanted last year. They forced him to basically stand in the corner and shoot threes. That's just not his game. Um, but he's shown some really nice post moves. Uh, he's undersized, but he's crafty in the post, which allows him to score on bigger defenders as that backup center. He slotted him really nicely when Turner missed games this year, so I like his potential as as a third piece of the young core, um, even though old Oladipo's 25. But again, if you look at these two teams, Jazz and Pacers are... Both, both don't have a super young guy who is oozing with potential. Maybe you know the Jazz have it with Mitchell, but Gobert 25 is, is a headlining piece. And for the Pacers, Oladipo is 25 and a headlining piece. But I think they're supported by enough other young pieces and them themselves can maybe maintain this kind of all-star level for both of them. And that will set up the Jazz and Pacers for pretty consistent success moving forward. So those are two teams I wanted to give a shout-out to
1: i feel you i actually didn't put them in only because uh, as you said with utah it was just those two i saw and i'm really um hesitant to really bet on rudy gobert with his injury history and just just how prone he is i mean we've already been talking about some players who have a knack for getting banged up jabari and other players of that ilk but especially for being already 25 that was a concern for me and the same with the pacers i actually do agree that that jump that victor ladipo had this year no one saw coming but i did put him more in that 25 you know already kind of cresting in this way this is probably the best we're going to see of him in my opinion at least he may surprise me as he did everyone else already so we'll see but i actually have two different teams i'm going to give a shout out to um Obviously for number six, we already talked about them, so I'm not really going to go into them too much, but number six at the Denver Nuggets. I know, shocker, surprise. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> number seven, I had the Phoenix Suns. I'm not really going to say number seven. They were just there. I just want to give a shout out to them. Um, only four players in league history have averaged at least 24 points, four rebounds, and four assists in their age 21 season. And one of them is Devin Booker. The other three are LeBron James, Michael Jordan, and Tracy McGrady. And although obviously Booker's defense is nowhere near close to any of those other three, even Tracy McGrady was a very good defender when engaged. I I still think he's a really special talent. Um, just the way he can just put the ball in the basket. I wouldn't even designate him as a as a shooter per se. He's just a scorer, and he really can get the ball in the hole. And he's been when he had been playing at point guard for the Suns and before they got out for Payton at the trade deadline due to. The, incompetence at that position they were playing him at that point guard role he was getting the ball moved around and looking for the open man it's a very I would say simplistic court vision but if you surround him with players who can finish plays I think he can be a a pretty well rounded shooting guard um I also really have liked Alfred Payton in fact even today against the Hawks before he got ejected in this stupid skirmish that (laughs) these players did I was really I laughed I'm just going to take a brief aside talk about it real quick I laughed when it happened because I'm sitting there going, okay, they're really talking junk and and, tra- and and pushing each other as if they're playing for like a playoff spot, when really the player to win that game was the first to win 20 games on the year. So I thought that was funny. But Elvin Payton, before he did have his unceremonious exit, he walked away with yet another triple double. And he's had two of them so far in the nine games. And he's been playing really well for that team. I'm not sure why the Magic valued him so low. Well, actually, I am sure. Because because his shooting, even though it was getting better, still has uh, much improvement, and I think his insistence on not getting haircut played a factor, <laughs> but... He is a tough-nosed player. He attacks the basket just at will. He distributes, and he isn't afraid to go get those rebounds with those big guys. And it's been showing. He's been doing a really good job for the Suns in more of a, I don't want to say a free-flowing offensive system. I'm still really trying to figure out what their offensive system is, but he's been thriving in it, whatever that may be. Um, and then apart from that backcourt, which I think does have room to grow, even though Payton is a restricted free agent, we'll see what happens. But I think it'll the Phoenix they have players like T.J. Warren, Josh Jackson, Dragon Bender, and Marquise Chris, and they're all other um, younger than 25, and they all have good to great potential. Most of them. I'm Marquise Chris again. I, I've been back and forth with him. Sometimes he, you know, I'm like, okay, man, this guy needs to grow up, this and that, and then he comes in today where you know he was just defending the rim, just amazingly. He had like two great highlight blocks. And the Dragon Bender, you know, you're not really going to be doing anything shooting sub-40% from the field. But at seven feet with the ability to stretch the floor, all eyes are going to at least be unnoticed. So he's still young. There's still room for him. TJ Warren, if anything, can fill the bucket. And Josh Jackson, this past month, has really come alive. I had some numbers. I misplaced them. But he's been scoring, you know, at will. He's getting a lot more confidence in his ability to break down the defense and attack the basket. And then when he does that, even though he does take some ill-advised shots, um, especially jumpers when his jumper isn't all the way around, um, the the at, at least when you're playing on a bad team, in my opinion, you know, go up and, and work on that, work on uh, setback back threes, work on that kind of stuff. Because I mean, you're not really playing for anything, in my opinion. But that 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 was a team I had to give a shout to. And the other one, and I, I guess it's kind of sh- surprising, but I put the Chicago Bulls. Um, I've really liked Larry in You know, when he was. First being drafted, people were disparagingly referring to him as Ryan Anderson 2.0, which I just, I think he's a little bit of a better player than Ryan Anderson. I don't know what you think about that, but I'm definitely of that opinion. Um, Zach Levine looks at av- healed pretty good. He's still an inconsistent shooter who, not inconsistent shooter in the sense that he shoots a lot and is not very efficient. But I like him as maybe a second banana or, or, or a third player on a good team. Um, but this gives him a chance to really get those touches and maybe develop that Victor Oladipo kind of main man on a middling team. Maybe starting next year, we'll see what the Bulls do moving forward. Chris Dunn, just a really, he's just showing that you know if you're young and athletic as a point guard, even if you have just a, a horrible, just just a ridiculous season, you know, give give him at least one more year and see where they go because he's really rebounded back in a major way. And although he's had an uneven season as of late, he was playing really well as soon as he got back into that lineup. And then Bobby Portis, if nothing else, and, you know, we only even got to talk about his connections on punches and whatever as an boxer <laughs> but he at least looks like a solid bench big. And he's really, he really, that three-point shot he developed, I've, I've seen it. Because when he first came in, he was shooting a couple of them. And then around summer league of this year, he really started just going at it. And we saw with that 38-point performance he had, if you give him some room, he will let it fly. And he's pretty efficient. If nothing else, I would think he's a solid young big, a young bench big for, a team moving forward. So we'll see what they add to this young core with what is sure to be a pretty high selection um, this upcoming year. But I, I think by next year, they'll have a pretty good core and I even think they'll crack the top five.
0: Yeah. So these are two teams that uh, hopefully uh, after when we kind of, if we revisit these talks, even you know in a couple of months after the draft, Another another key piece will be added to this young core. Both of these teams are uh, doing their best to tank to get to the bottom of those standings, um, which is, it made the Hawks-Suns game really funny today. But these are two teams I'd probably clump in together with the other teams I mentioned, like the Jazz and Pacers. You know, I think that they might... It, it depends how you would feel about Gobert being 25 and old, but being 25, if you think that they can you know, continue playing at the level they're playing recently for the next five or so years, if you don't think that, then you could easily put Suns and/or Bulls above those teams. If you think that Gobert and Oladipo can sustain this level of kind of All Star play, then you might have the Jazz or Pacers above these teams. But the Suns, I think, are interesting. So you mentioned Josh Jackson in February. He averaged seventeen point seven points per game on, on pretty good efficiency. He, you know, he hit forty five percent of his shots, grabbed six point five rebounds per game, got over a block per game, got nearly a steal per game. You know, even got close to two assists per game. You know, for a guy who struggled so mightily like he did in the first, you know, two to three months of the season, especially with his jumper, um, it's been really nice to see him. Obviously, he's not hitting threes yet. I mean, he only shot 26.5% on threes in February, but maybe he doesn't become a good three point shooter. Maybe it comes later in his career, next season, et cetera, like Brandon Ingram last year, you know, shot below 30% on threes, and here he is shooting above 38%. So that can happen, but. His defense can be better. He obviously was drafted with that kind of defensive potential he's had, but his ability to score is going to help this team a lot. It'll help Devin Booker, who is just an offensive stud. I mean, I mean, look at him. He's averaging 25 points per game, 4.8 assists, 4.6 rebounds per game, hitting 38% of his threes. You mentioned that rare company he's in. I think I've been very impressed with, his jump in playmaking, obviously, his, his, his PER has improved. His true shooting percentage has improved significantly. His assist percentage was 16.3% last season. It's jumped up to 25.1% this season. So, obviously, he's had a, a jump in usage. He he went from 28.6% uh, usage percentage last year to 316 So, obviously, with more usage, you'd hope for more assists and more passing. But that's been a, been a nice you know 9% increase in his assist percentage, which is very nice to see. He's been more efficient as a scorer. I don't want to talk about his defense cuz that could take me a while because it's, it's it's bad it's bad but young young players especially young guards who have so much offensive res- responsibility happen to play bad defense it just happens Almost all the time, like nine times out of ten, you get a guy with Devin Booker's offensive responsibility having a usage percentage of over thirty. You're gonna get bad defense, okay? So that's just what it is. I mean, even the stars, Westbrook and Harden, play bad defense like sixty percent of the time, anyways. So it, it's just what it is. So that's not a, that's not a reason really to knock him and or his potential. I think he can be a really good offensive, you know, stud. I'm not sure how good an offense can be built around him, but of course we haven't seen. A decent offense built around him yet because this team is completely rebuilding, playing new guys, etc. I have questions and concerns about Chris and Bender. I, I don't, I don't want to. I mean, they're both just twenty years old, but I do have serious concerns about them moving forward. If they can even, you know, become solid starters in the league, they might just be good role players. Um, Josh Jackson, I think, can become a solid starter. Devin Booker, I think, will be an all-star in his career. Alfred Payton, again, is interesting. He's twenty-three upcoming restricted free agency. How do they view him like the Magic? Magic pretty much decided, you know, we're not going to keep this guy in restricted free agency. Let's get a second round pick for him. Well, let's see what the Suns do in restricted free agency. Let's see if a team even bothers to throw an expensive deal at Peyton, who is one of the more interesting players, especially at that point guard position in terms of his age, his lack of shooting, his ability to get triple doubles and create and help, you know, rebounding and passing and just getting to the rim and scoring. And then TJ Warren, kind of falls under the radar, right, at, at 24 years old, just kind of that cusp of, of about to turn 25. The dude does not shoot. He's at, shooting 20% on threes. And only, he barely attempts one per game, but he's averaging 19.5 points per game. He doesn't he doesn't really create or playmake. He literally just scores and grabs five rebounds per game. Um, but he is a natural scorer, especially when he gets to a shot in the mid-range, which can be good. I'm not sure if it's good enough for him to be in the starting lineup on a good team um, unless he's playing at power forward because just how bad his shooting is especially if you wanted to play him with a guy like Josh Jackson Um, but if you wanted to bring you want want to talk about a go-to scorer as a sixth man you know, the guard the maybe the the wing version of Lou Williams is is, is Warren. Well without the shooting, but just the ability to get buckets, that what TJ Warren can be. So they have them signed for contract for the next four years after signing that extension early in the year. And I'm I'm a fan of Warren's game despite his limited shooting. I think that you just give him the ball and let him score against second units. That could be hit the best role for his career. So you know, I think that this team is interesting. There are a lot of question marks and concerns with guys like Chris and Bender, even with still like a guy like Josh Jackson What is the question mark of Alfred Payton's status in this young core moving forward? What is TJ Warren's role on this team? How good can Devin Booker be once this team starts to try and win, which may not be for another two to three years? And finally, the final piece is who do they add this in this upcoming draft because they're most likely going to have a top three, top four pick. And it's it's a pretty good draft from what I've heard. I Obviously, I don't really watch college basketball that much. But our, our draft <laughs> our draft experts at 94feetreport.com have been giving a lot of great content there. So I've been reading up. It's a pretty good draft. So question marks but also moments of positivity and glimpses of, of, of a lot of hope for the Suns. Puts them in this kind of category uh, with the Jazz and Pacers and the Bulls, and you know, I think the Lakers are a step above all these teams um, due to the, the fact that they have multiple guys who could become All-Stars. But I think the Suns has some underrated players. Obviously, some players who are super young, but I already have concerns about. But it's an interesting team, an interesting young core that may may get a probably their second best piece of the young core. Could they could get in this year draft? That's how good this draft could be. So we again with some of these teams that are doing the extreme tanking we have to wait for a while um but i do think the suns are right in there with that group
1: hey you've you've pretty much laid it all out there and being that i, I live in in arizona here in phoenix i'm gonna be seeing a lot more suns games hopefully moving forward next year i really hope to see a good product on the floor and i'll play so it'll be interesting to see what we get there <laughs>
0: Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, you got any teams you want to talk about? I think we covered pretty much all of them. I mean, for the most part. I mean, you, you can give a quick shout out to the Magic and Aaron Gordon. Um, you know, his, his Zonia, has stepped it up recently, but it looks like they're probably he's, there, he's probably not in their plans unless no other team offers him anything in restricted free agency. Um, but really, Aaron Gordon is that is that guy in Orlando, and of course, they're going to have another top draft pick. We'll see who they add. I heard the Mavericks might go really hard at Aaron Gordon, might offer him a max contract. Do the Magic match that and make Gordon a contract, uh, a max guy? Because it, one thing about the Magic is that they brought in a new front office last offseason, which is why I think Alfred Payton was traded because that new front office didn't trade, didn't didn't draft Payton, they didn't draft Gordon, they didn't hire Frank Vogel. So those are all players who could be gone if the price is too high for Gordon, if they want just a second round pick for Payton. If Frank Vogel is just not the guy for a complete rebuild, which I would agree with. So there are moves to be made for this Magic team that really make it hard to evaluate their core. But let's give a quick shout-out to Aaron Gordon, who has taken a big jump this season from last season. Um,
1: Oh, yes. I was going to say, I can't wait till we hit free agency because... Alfred Payton, Julius Randle, Aaron Gordon, Marcus Smart. There's so many interesting, and this is just on the restricted free agent front, but there's so many interesting free agents. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, how each front office negotiates and, and where these players go, if they go anywhere. You know, as you said with the magic, it's almost like a new player who this kind of uh, conversation here, where they more or less inherited this. And now we get to see in this off season, the first one they have to themselves, what do they want to do to make the team in their image? But yeah, I, I, I'm with you. That's gonna, I'm, I can't wait until free agency. But staying on task here, I also want to give a shout-out to the Brooklyn Nets. Um, They always seem to grab all these young players and, you know, who knows what's going to happen. And, and for the most part, I haven't really been impressed – for example, I haven't really been impressed like D'Angelo Russell. He's kind of had a down year, also battling injury concerns. But I liked Alan Crabb so far this year. I mean, if anything, I don't think he projects to be anything more or better than what he is, but – you know, if you can go out there and stretch the floor and shoot them threes, that's fine. Spencer Dinwood, he's played okay. He had a, a really rough mental breakdown at the end of this last game against the Clippers tonight where, I don't know, it was like they were down by three, you had like five seconds left, and then he picked up his dribble for like no reason. But aside from that, I like him. Um, there's a couple good pieces on the Brooklyn Nets that I think can develop. Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, if he ever really gets a jumper, or if he's just going to project as an energy big for his career. Um, a lot of different pieces on the Nets that, are interesting, if nothing else. So I just want to give a shout-out to them. But other than that, I think we've pretty much covered every team with any semblance of a, of a core, you I think, know?
0: I think we have are forgetting one that uh, might, might anger some people. We're going to stay in New York City for the New York Knicks because <laughs> the thing is that it comes down to Porzingis's recovery from that torn ACL. Obviously, as a big, it could hurt him a little bit more than people think. But if he can recover to the form he showed in the first couple months of the season – the Knicks have a stud. there, obviously probably a, a multi-time All-Star this season. Obviously, he was named an All-Star but had to be replaced due to the injury. But he's going to be a multi-time All-Star if he can just continue to get back to that level or anywhere close to it. I mentioned Frank Nelakina has been really, really good defensively this season. Obviously, offensively, is extremely raw. So those are two building blocks. They did trade for A uh, from the Nuggets. We'll see if he's... Any, if he's even part of their plans moving forward, but just having Nilakina, just having Porzingis, and having who they draft this year, that could form a nice trio if Porzingis can stay healthy, if Nilakina can develop any resemblance of a consistent offensive game while maintaining his elite defense at the point guard position, Um, because I think he could be a top three point guard a defender at the point guard position for his career it's all about that offensive end for him all about porzingis getting healthy but if that happens if they can draft another good piece to make a third piece in this trio that's a team that could be reckoned with in years to come um so let's give a quick shout out to them as well i think you i think you could honestly clump the knicks into that group with the suns pacers jazz um bulls kind of crew up uh, depending on porzingis's health but he he's they're right up there with that just because of the stud they have in porzingis
1: that is true. I can't believe he escaped my memory, man. Shout out to the Knicks. Sorry about that, y'all.
0: <laughs> I think it just goes to show how much good young talent there is in this league that we can overlook a guy like Christoph Sporzingis and the New York Knicks. Um, after talking, you know, about like nine uh, other teams' young cores, we forgot about you know one of the best you know top maybe top 5 top 10 under 22 players in Kristaps Porzingis so it's crazy but there's a lot of young young talent in the league which sets the league up for future success once guys like LeBron and Chris Paul and Curry Durant etc are all mm-hmm. gone we've got these guys to uh take the reins pretty much
1: the future the yeah. future man i like it we're in good hands this yeah. league
0: Whew. All right, so that was just an hour and uh, 15 minutes of a young core talk. I think it was it was great. Um, make sure to follow uh, us on Twitter. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. Follow our site on Twitter at The 94 Feet Report. Check out our website, 94feetreport.com. It's pretty much articles every day. Um, a lot of draft content coming up. We've got really good draft experts there as well. I mentioned our YouTube channel where we have our weekly show on Fridays, The Swing Men, which is basically 30 minutes of in depth NBA analysis hot takes some fun we just have a lot of fun with it it's really well produced by alex west and uh, andrew johnson two of our editors at 94feetreport.com and uh corbin you can throw out where people can uh, follow you moving forward
1: all right, at at Corbin Ford NBA and uh, check me out with the rest of our great crew on the Swingman Man. That's a it's a lot of fun that show.
0: It, it, is, it yeah. is. We have a blast really, and maybe we'll have to <laughs> uh, sneak in some young cores talk on the on the next episode since we just devoted so much time thinking and analyzing this. But uh, yeah, make sure to follow us, follow the show, check out the site, check out our YouTube channel, and uh, we'll be back uh, next week with some more uh, NBA discussion. Have a w- have a great week, guys. Take care. All right, take care. All right, y'all. That's Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Oh, oh, oh,
1: O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh. Alright!